0: and welcome to episode 11 of North of the Shire, and I am Don, and I'm here again with Andrew. How's it going, Andrew? It's going all right. Yourself? It's going really good. Uh, Back to work in five days a week, which is pretty odd. Five Um, days?
1: Holy cow.
0: I know. I've been kind of working like pretty well three days a week since the beginning of June or something like that. So... uh, has had a shocking impact on my hobbying.
1: <laughs> Not, so surprising. I just can't get used to it. I know, it's like right?
0: nothing is getting done.
1: I know that feeling all too well. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas break, or, you know, or the holidays, I, uh, I knocked off twenty models. Uh, and since then, I haven't put a lick of paint on anything. I've looked <laughs> at the models I want to paint, but they're like, hmm, I get around you one day.
0: <laughs> one day, yeah. Well, the. Um, in our, in our home sort of, uh, group, the OSBGL, the, uh, they're doing another hobby contest right now. So it's kind of a, see how many models you can get type of contest. And I guess it's going to last, I'm not quite sure how long, but maybe two weeks, maybe longer. I think so. And, um, so I've started working on my Dunlens stuff, but the problem with that is like right now, and I always do this and I have to stop doing this. Um, I get all my models out like this time I've got all my models out and I prep them, clean them, put them on bases, put the gravel on bases, prime them all, got Mm. them all ready to go. And they're all sitting there in a giant stack. So when I go to, you know, spend an hour on hobby, I'm looking at like 20 or 30 models and like Mm. I don't know what to do. So I just start painting, you know, like bows or quivers or or Mm -hmm. whatever and then you just don't get anything done basically so oh i I, see yeah yeah it's just you little tiny bits of painting and it just disappears in this like horde of 30 models
1: see what you need to do is you take all the models you put them back up on your shelf you take five and you put them down on your paint station that's exactly what i have to do and you just knock off those five and it's only when you turn back to the shelf to put those five painted models down do you realize yeah. there's still a horde of models left to paint. Yeah. And then yeah. you bring the next five down.
0: Attack it in little pieces. That's how you got to do it. They um, Taylor's running this event, and he's set up. I didn't even know this was available on Facebook. So it shows how up on things I am. Um, but like in Facebook, when you set up an event, like apparently you can create like a chat room or or something. And, uh, oh, so really? some of the guys have been going on the chat room in mm-hmm. Facebook, like when they're doing their hobbying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I did go on there the other night for, I don't know, about an hour or so and, and talk to a few of the guys. Uh, Alistair was on there and Sam was on there and a few other people. So it was mm-hmm. good. We had a little chat visit with some people I haven't seen for a long time. Well,
1: that's good. Yeah, Cause I then I you can get... always just say, you know, Hey, I'm going to go chat with, uh, some of the guys and you know, uh, and gel knows, and uh, you uh, head out to, to here, and you start painting while you're doing the whole thing. That's right. right. Yeah. No, it's yeah.
0: A, it's it's an it's an alternate to just watching you know, YouTube or, or listening to a podcast while you're while you're painting. It's like mm-hmm. you can actually have a conversation with people that you haven't seen for a while.
1: That's true. Yeah, I like that. So well, we, there we, were we've, some. So we've done that a couple of times. You and me. And we Greg. have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we That's have. Yeah.
0: It is fun. There were some models just released last weekend, and uh, initially I thought they were direct order, but it turns out they weren't direct order, and there are like a whole bunch of models that are like returning to the range. Oh, okay. Um, so I wanted to jump on because, of course, they had the uh, Ring Wraiths, the unnamed Ring Wraiths mm-hmm. mounted. So a lot of people were after them, and a bunch of other different models as well. So oh. I was waiting for them to come up, you know, I think it's at one o'clock here mm-hmm. they came up came available went on put what i wanted in my um Your cart what do you call it? in my cart mm-hmm. and then i was like starting to look at some other things and i ran downstairs just to make sure i was gonna buy the right number to check what i already had came back upstairs sold out Oh like it was literally in for me it was 14 minutes but like then i heard later on from other people it was like less than 10 minutes
2: oh my god
0: it was like oh my goodness so um wow you know whatever it's they're coming back to into the range so as soon as i found that out it's like okay no big deal you know, but honestly
1: whatever. they wouldn't have sold out if it wasn't for the you know the black riders legendary legion you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, they probably wouldn't have brought that model back out if not for the Black Riders Legendary Legion.
1: Exactly right. And so, you know, when we talked about the Black Riders um, and we talked about you know their, their viability from a competitive perspective, one of the big barriers to entry on that is are you able to find the models? You know what I mean? Because yeah. you, you pretty much had to convert all nine of them. Or uh, uh, use like name,
0: name guys and say, yeah, proxy uh, but, basically.
1: But like, even using one of the name guys, foot and mountain, I think they're like 40 or 50 bucks each, which means like that army is like 500 bucks if you want to use all named, right? Which yeah. not a lot of people have. But then all of a sudden it's like, hey, here's a trio pack. Oh, you just need to buy yeah. three of those. And
0: you're <laughs> <Yeah>. done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've been trying to grab some here and there, just on eBay or trading or mm-hmm. whatever. And I went when I went downstairs to check. I was like, "Oh, I already have five. I only actually need three, and then and the then King. I need the the Witch King. Mm-hmm. And of course, this Saturday, the Witch King is coming out along mm-hmm. with a bunch of other models as a direct order. So okay, so, you uh, definitely... so I've been I've been doing some finger push-ups last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Make sure my my clicking finger is. Yeah. That's good. So hopefully I'll get in there and grab the Witch King in time.
1: Uh, let me tell you persistence. I uh I bought a PlayStation 5 the day it came out without having reserved it in advance and oh, it really? literally was me refreshing the screen on Best Buy 130 times before <laughs> it finally went through. And I was like, how'd you do it? I'm like, persistence. <laughs> I made that happen.
0: <laughs> this kind of, like, reminds me of, like, trying to buy concert tickets back in the day. It's starting yeah, to get funny. like that.
1: Oh, it's still like that today. Um, by the way, I still have two of those ring-wraiths, by the way, the foot ones that are just sitting over here in this box I have that are oh, earmarked yeah? for you.
0: Oh, you'll have to take a picture of them and, and send it to me because, it's like I, uh, like I mentioned, I have the resin cast ones, which I'm trying to replace with metal ones. I think so. these
1: are metal, actually. Yeah,
0: let me know if they are and send me a pic of that so I can okay. see which one's there. Uh, okay. Something else coming out Ooh. this What's... Saturday, apparently. Mm. I haven't seen if there's any updates today on it, but there apparently there's uh, like some kind of new big release happening on uh, on Saturday. Not for Mesvg, but kind of sounds like they're releasing another, possibly like a core game. It for a Games looks Workshop.
1: Like, yeah, it looks like that. You know, they've they've thrown some teasers out the last little bit. They've thrown out some, like, old-world fantasy. Here's the history of this area and what's going on in it. Yeah. And it, like, it, it's sort of alluding that it could be Old World, the game they're re-envisioning. Uh, but at the same time, they've also talked about Mordheim. So people are, are really aren't sure. It could be either or.
0: Well, yeah, like early in the week they had all, all kinds of theories like even Battlefleet Gothic and um, like uh, what's Steve's website Top Table he, he did a video the other night on it which was really good and he went through all the different games that people were theorizing what Mm -hmm. it would be um but then was it yesterday or two days ago they they released another hint and like it's okay it's obviously something fantasy and and gothic possibly undead Mm -hmm. so i also thought like i what i'm actually hoping for is it's um the new warhammer quest or a new Mm -hmm. warhammer quest game Mm -hmm. um now that we know that like blackstone fortresses is is done right it's it's already released its last release um, so it would be cool if, if it was uh, a Warhammer Quest game because I actually haven't bought into any of those games yet and mm-hmm. I would really love to, to get one of them um, I probably would have gotten Blackstone Fortress but when it was initially released I was still too um, I don't know crusty about 40k and what it has become as a game um, yeah. If it, if they release Blackstone Fortress now, I would definitely have jumped on it. But mm-hmm. back then, you know, my I was still grieving, the, I guess. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have been in 40K for so long, and then they just radically, they've radically changed it from third edition. Yeah, yeah. To third, Let's not edition. go down that
0: rabbit hole, because it's <laughs> like, if that's a whole episode.
1: It's true, it is. Yeah, yeah. So
0: I was going to ask you something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, like we're, we're still in lockdown pandemic, you know, um, I was going to ask you a little off, off topic, off base question, but like, you know, not when, like when it's pandemic, I, you know, you could be doing, you know, playing squash or racquetball in your free time or whatever. Um, what, what have you, like, what do you do during your free time while you're in lockdown? like yeah. what, what are you spending a lot of your time doing
1: uh i'll
0: tell yeah. you the reason why i ask and the reason why i ask is because like i spend like a ridiculous amount of time now on youtube and uh. i was just wondering like if, <laughs> if other people are doing that too
1: uh i have been known to be on the youtubes uh, more than i should be um when i have a spare moment you know i, I know i harp on work and, and working obscene hours and i do but like when I do have a spare moment outside of that, I'm watching movies with my wife. Uh, yeah, we watch, try to watch movies every day. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. We just watch a new movie coming out, try to expand the horizons. You know, other than that, uh, read. You know that that one's a rarity, but enjoying a good read or a, or um, painting when I, when I absolutely can get a chance. That's that's kind of my shtick right now. very good i'm more used to doing outdoorsy stuff but like with the way it's been you just can't do it you know yeah like we we've been talking about um being really excited about going for like a drive (laughs) oh i know yeah yeah (laughs) like that's the that's an exciting thing is let's go for a drive
0: well we're we're big on like one of the things i do together with my wife is we go for for walks a lot and we you know, I live in the suburbs. Like, mm-hmm. well, you don't live in as suburbia a place as I do, but there's some really nice places to walk near where I live. But the problem now is, like, ever since the pandemic hit, you have all these, like, pandemic pedestrians out there. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, everybody is out walking, right? And it's like, oh, my God. Can't get away from can't get away from anybody.
1: Right. Yeah, like, you start walking, and all of a sudden, you see all these people out there that you would never see going for a walk, and then all of a sudden, no, it's like, yeah. You gotta, make, you gotta make the way and all that stuff, it's again, it's just it's a big hassle. Anyway, one mm-hmm. of the
0: things, I just wanted to quickly mention a couple of YouTube channels that I've started watching just recently, and I've known about both of these channels for a while because um, they're both Lord of the rings ones mm-hmm. but not M-E-S-B-G.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there, uh, there was one that started about two years ago and just like got subscribers like crazy like really quickly, mm-hmm. and it's called History of the Ages, Okay, so it's actually quite good if you, you want to watch like short videos on uh, Lord of the Rings lore. Oh, okay. uh, presented very well and not in super long format, it's like fairly brief. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good one, and another one. Um, which has only been going maybe for around a year it doesn't have as many videos, but it's called Nerd of the Rings.
1: Nerd of the Rings. Nerd of
0: the Rings. Yeah, and it's that one's more focused. It's also lore ish, but more sort of focused on the movies and um, does actually does some interviews with actors and whatnot. Like he's got oh. an interview coming up in the next couple of day days with a guy called Jed Brophy who was Nori the Dwarf, and I didn't know, but he actually played like three or four other characters like in the Lord of the Rings series. So it's like, oh my God, I had no idea. So a couple pretty good YouTube channels there. I've been watching some stuff on on those. Added those to my regular viewing. Oh, wow, that
1: must be nice. Yeah, I'll give them a a whirl, you know, Um, see how they go. (laughs) It'll be when I start painting
0: yeah well you're watching movies with your wife like my wife usually is working like we work kind of not opposite hours but sort of Mm -hmm. different hours so she's usually working late and Mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff so anyway should we about random youtube channels and move on to (laughs) our main topic i think so
1: yeah let's go for it
0: All right, we are here to talk about another army type. What army type are we picking today, Drew? The Horde. The Horde. All yes. right. This is the second of our of our army types. Last one was the Shield Wall, so right. go check that out in episode 10 if you haven't listened to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, intro of the Horde. What What is a Horde? Um, well, I think to be a Horde you have to have either one or both of these things you either have to have really cheap troops in Mm -hmm. your faction or hopefully have fairly cheap troops and really cheap heroes that are like fortitude tier or higher that allows you to take tons of Mm -hmm. warriors in your army um as as far as difficulty goes uh, I'd say it's one of the easier armies to play. Um, it's got a gradual learning curve to it, and you know there there are tactics and strategies that you can use with the horde. but with this with this type of build, it's really more about time management than any of those other things.
1: Mm-hmm. Like I've seen players clock out games because they didn't manage their time correctly um and let me tell you of all the games out there of all the of all the army types out there that your opponents hate to play against it's the horde because an unskilled horde player takes way too long to play the game and it actually causes them to gain an advantage on time yeah and it's really unfair to your opponent so if you're gonna play the horde all power to you but you gotta fine-tune your time management
0: well, because you get some of these tournaments where they're they're really trimming down the the time per game, trying to squeeze in like an extra game in a day, let's say. Mm-hmm. And when you have on top of that, you have someone playing a horde army who maybe not all that fast. Like I've actually seen games finish with hordes that have only played three turns in the yeah. whole game, and and that's really unfair to the other player, mm-hmm. honestly.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I've played games where I played against opponents who. I've gone eight or nine turns with a horde army, uh, because they're really fast, they know their stuff, they know what they're doing, and I've played uh, tournaments where you'll get to turn four, you just break the horde player and the game ends, and it was like a two-hour game, and I'm just like, one more turn, and I (laughs) could have won the game, you know, but such is life. Alright, so let's talk about some strengths. Clearly the Horde's main strength is their ability to outnumber their opponents, and you know, you're generally outnumbering them by two or three times. Um, And one of the big strengths to a Horde force is that you uh, very rarely get broken in a fight. And on top of that you have some of the best, if not the best, board control of all the army types in the game. Uh, which makes, which gives your army a sizable advantage in objective-based games. I'm talking those um, heirlooms of ages past. I'm talking um, pretty much anything where it's like six objectives, multiple bo- uh, table quarters, running off the table edge. Anything when it comes to that, you have a really strong advantage because you own the table. And you have... With a Horde army, you generally have a lot of inexpensive heroes, which means you have a lot of might, right? like It's not surprising to see a Horde army with 10-plus might um, at the 700-plus mark, you know? And with proper positioning, uh, you're, a horde, you're an army type that can very easily get traps because you, you very quickly roll the flanks of your opponent's army because you have so many models. And when you ro- start rolling flanks, uh, you start getting traps, and it just sort of creates this cascade effect
0: yeah okay so what about some weaknesses because those are all really good strengths but mm-hmm. definitely a horde does have quite a few weaknesses and i think the probably the most obvious one is that because you're dealing with like inexpensive uh here or not hero models warrior models mm-hmm. um their defense is normally pretty low like yes it's it's usually four or five but obviously some are even lower so you get quite a few hordes that are in like a defense of three yeah um so what this can mean is like a you're vulnerable to shooting hopefully you have the numbers where you can sustain the losses you're always got to expect you're going to lose a a bundle of models to to shooting Mm -hmm. um but also just in in a bad combat engagement like you you can lose a dozen models easily in a turn oh yeah yeah uh, the other thing with them too, is that most of the horde armies, not all but like probably more than half, are slower moving like with either a four inch or a five inch move mm-hmm. um, so so getting around on the table is is not their strong suit.
1: Yeah, you have to burn a lot of their might generally on the march just to give them normal move or slightly average you know slightly above uh, average uh, move.
0: Yeah. And we mentioned before also with time management and that sort of becomes kind of a weakness in in your army because you have so many models to to move and and look after. You you really have to plan what you're going to do well ahead of your turn coming around so that you don't spend a lot of, you know, precious time like trying to study or like moving models and moving them back really have to kind of be prepared for your movement phase when it comes around so that you're not wasting time just moving your models like you need to be capturing objectives or destroying the opponent's army or whatever if you spend all your time just moving your models like nothing's going to happen in the game
1: you know like you said in the intro that uh, horde has very few tricks they have very few tricks don't overthink it just go (laughs) move forward get
0: into combat that's that's what it is pretty much yeah um also are heroes uh, a lot of inexpensive heroes uh you mentioned that earlier because the big plus side of that is that it gives you a lot of might so you have a lot of heroic uh usually it's um heroic moves mostly i find with a horde that you're using or um but the downside to that is That your heroes are, are generally fairly weak and a lot of them don't have a lot of the really good heroic actions available to them like strike or defense so that's kind of a downside is your sort of weaker level heroes
1: yeah you're you're a lot you're relying a lot more on swarming good or swarming like the bigger higher fight heroes and hoping they whiff their dice rolls to take them out than trying to create a trap strike up over them like that's not an option for a horde army generally
0: of course another big weakness that hordes can have is low courage like if you're dealing with any of the goblin or orc factions you're pretty much looking at a courage of two so dealing with terror or like harbinger of evil these can be like a really big problem for for this type of horde all
1: right so we've talked about the strengths we talked about the weaknesses let's talk about building a horde and we're talking about building it from a general sense you know again we're not talking about take 58 goblins or this or that and whatever this is just some general tips Build me an army worthy of being a horde. (laughs) I like it, I like it. Uh, So it really comes down to quantity, right? You want to make sure you're taking enough warriors to consider yourself a horde. And again, as I said, it's all about the quantity. So the more quality you take, the less horde you're going to have. And when we get into the examples of the types of armies that could be a horde they run into that uh, tricky situation where they wanna take the tools, they wanna to take a lot of the more expensive tricks, and they'll find themselves very quickly out of being a horde and into something else. Right? So
0: Yeah, it's pretty common with a lot of different army types. If you're going to try to be a certain type of army, then don't mm-hmm. don't get too distracted while you're building your army with, with
1: other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, And the other thing is, you know, while we're talking about quality or quantity, you know, and getting those bodies on the table, you still need some tricks, you know. Um, A mass of bodies, just pure bodies, can be countered uh, very easily. So you want to look at bringing as many extra tools without sacrificing your horde status as possible. And I'm talking about, you know, your 33% bow limit. I'm talking about one or two calves, two-handed weapons. Um, And I think one of the biggest tricks horde armies bring to the table is piercing strike i mean a lot of the horde armies we're going to talk about run piercing strike as a means of getting over the fact that almost all of them are strength three base getting that piercing strike getting them up to be strength four is huge especially when you get that trap going well there was a reason that rule got changed in the mesbg edition right pretty much. Yeah, having D3 strength on a horde model was ridiculous because if you're defense 3 or defense 4, who cares if you drop by D3? They're already wounding you on 4s generally anyways. Um, and then, so yeah, so you if you can, like I talked about, bring those two-handed weapons, get yourself some sort of plus wound modifier weapon as its key.
0: Alright, are we going to move on to some strategies? You bet. right so the first strategy is surround overwhelm and trap your opponent so this is kind of like the basic strategy of a horde is uh, when you're trying to just destroy your opponent's army sort of regardless of mission because generally speaking if you can destroy the other guy's army well you're going to win the game um so in this one here It's all about sort of overwhelming the enemy battle line and getting into your opponent's back ranks. And the best way to do that is is probably on the the flanks, Drew mentioned, because Mm -hmm. you're probably going to engage them right across their front line and you'll have enough models to wrap around their flanks. And when that happens, that's where you're going to start getting. You're going to get start getting traps yeah mm-hmm. in the center of the battle they may be getting more kills than you are but when you start rolling up their flanks there's not too many armies that can can survive that mm-hmm. so that that's when you know you mentioned earlier drew about having having piercing strike yeah and how, how much that can help and some even some armies have um what do you call them like faction special rules or army bonuses or whatever Mm -hmm. um that that help out with with this strategy and the one thing i would add here too is if you have an army that does have shooting in it and you are a horde if you are going to try to surround and overwhelm your opponent forget about the shooting don't leave your archers at the back shooting have them rush up with the rest of the, your your army, because without them, you're you're leaving like X number of models out of the melee, and you don't want that. You need all your numbers in there.
1: Agreed. You, you really want to make sure that you're a horde, and you're bringing your whole horde to the table. You know, and you also talk about like, what happens if I lose models in the center of my force? Well, the beauty about a horde is, you can always stack your center line with like, three or four deep so even if you start losing one or two models you just plug Mm -hmm. those gaps with extra models you're never missing models in a horde army
0: yeah you're going to lose models i mean you're playing with uh, pretty much garbage models that are probably worth only five points or even lower so you know you got to expect to lose models what you want Mm -hmm. to do is lose a five point model and kill a ten point model
1: exactly so the next strategy is all about time management and there are some good horde players, and there's some great horde players. And the learning curve for a horde army is small, but it spikes sort of near the end of that curve. And that spike is time management. So those who master moving their horde very quickly can secure victory before time runs out. And um, there's actually some tricks of, to do it, to sort of help you out with it. And a horde army is definitely an army where you can practice um, these tricks that actually, without actually needing anybody um, to play against. Okay? So, the first things first, you want to invest in some movement bases. Now, I'm talking the ones where you can stick, you know, six or 12 models on a base. Why? Because if you have an 80 to 150 model horde army, why move 80 to 150 models when you can move eight to 15 movement stands? It dramatically speeds up the process. No, you won't keep the models on the movement stands the entire game. But even if you're moving them on those movement bases or movement stands, like for three or four movement phases, and then taking them off just before you engage, you are saving literally like probably 15 or 20 minutes of movement. And that can be key later on in the game. The next thing is, like we talked about, I think in the weaknesses section, is you gotta, don't overthink it. Figure out your plan that you're gonna have long before your movement phase, and just dive right into it. Horde don't have a lot of crazy strategies, which is okay. Their strategy is all about minimizing the time wasted from moving models. Once you've got that down, you're gonna be good to go. The other thing is only move what you need to move. Okay, so as you're scattering models all over the place securing board control near the end of the game You're gonna find that half the models you have sort of scattered around the table You are not gonna actually affect the outcome. So start only moving the models that will affect the outcome of the game um, And you'll find that your turns will speed up very quickly and lastly never ever single roll for your dual rolls or your wound rolls don't roll your dice individually Okay, roll them all together and if certain dice do different things, color code your dice, tell your opponent and be like I have a blue dice for my piercing strike slash two handed and I have a green dice for my regular guys that is how it's always going to be rolled throughout the entire game and you're just going to constantly be rolling it like that
0: yeah big time saver there for Mm -hmm. sure all right, so board control. This is a strategy obviously in missions that require board control and objective grabbing. And this one here, honestly, super easy. Kinda happens without you even trying to make it happen. And that's just because you have so many models that it's very common for your opponents when they see that they're playing a horde, they, they set up as far back on the board as they can a lot of the time even if the mission involves going to the center of the board because they're they're afraid of your army they want to do damage to your army before it makes contact with their army um and basically what you're doing is you're like moving across the board like a wave so in in board control missions you may want to try to spread out your army a little wider than you might normally but the thing is is like as you cross over the board you will be taking control of objectives and yeah you may have to drop off a model here or two here or there to maintain those objectives but it almost happens effortless effortlessly Mm -hmm. and the thing is is that it's it's very hard for your opponent to sort of get around behind you when you're a horde because if they're coming close to you well that thing that they're coming close to you with is probably going to die because they have to engage you with everything they have all at once or they're going to lose yeah there's no two ways about it so if they try to get around you with like six cavalry and you have like 24 models in in, in the area well guess what it's not going to work you're going to have a couple heroes there that can you know march or heroic move or whatever mm-hmm. so this board control for you as a horse player it almost happens without
1: you even knowing it exactly exactly you know, to talk about board control as a strategy also, um, it's important to acknowledge that it, this will happen sort of, you know, on your, on its own, but it's important to note that um, that doesn't mean you should be getting sloppy with it, you know, like place your objectives carefully so that your opponent really has an extremely hard time getting to them. Because if you're gonna leave two or three horde models on each objective, perfect, that's all you really need. Um, but it's also about acknowledging And when it comes to board control, you want to also control the areas of the board that your opponent can abuse you with, right? So you want to try to get to those choke points first before they do. Um, You want to really sort of take the board away from them and any advantage they can get from the board uh, and leave them with very little that they can work with.
0: Yeah, like you mentioned placing objectives. Like if you're placing an objective as a horde player, put it in the center of the board, like not to the left, not to the right, in the middle. As many of them as close to the middle as you can, because you're going to be going right up the center of the board. Mm-hmm. So you're just you want you want to be able to walk right across them, right? Exactly, moving
1: yeah. towards the enemy. So the, another strategy is march. I mean, wow! Like we're talking like sophisticated strategies here, <laughs> uh, and there are times where your army needs to move fast. Okay, now this is either when your opponent's got a lot of shooting, or or when the time constraints of the tournament or the mission or the game um, are a little tight on you being able to finish the game before you clock out. So you wanna minimize the number of times you're moving your whole army across the table. So march. Um, March and march often. um, Because you have a lot of inexpensive heroes. Generally speaking, horde armies have the most amount of heroes with march. Um, So blow your might, blow it early, get your models across the table. Because more often than not, whether a horde army has a heroic move up its sleeve um, is less, has less importance than, say, a mobile army. They desperately want the heroic move because they want that charge. Uh, but a horde army, not so much. They're generally using those heroic moves as sort of preventative measures, um, which, you know what, if you don't need it, burn it on the marches, get in your opponent's face fast.
0: All right, so another one um, we've got here is Swarm the Heroes. So this almost comes down to the tactical level of of playing to me. Uh, And the thing is, is like we mentioned earlier as a weakness, like you're not going to have a lot of heroes in your army with strike. Like you may only have one in your whole army that has strike. So it's not like a typical or an average army that you can, you know, every time you get into a fight with your hero, you strike up. It's like, no, um, that's probably not going to happen. But what you do want to do is swarm your opponent's heroes just with your chaff. And, And there's a few reasons why you want to do this one of the big strategies that players use in this game is to do heroic combats and leap off heroic combats and into other advantage advantageous combats right and a lot of the time you you hear you hear the expression burnout where you'll have a bunch of bunch of heroes hit your line and they'll burn out like they use all their might for killing and and heroic combats and and all of that to like just decimate like part of your army well got to stop that from happening because that's a strategy that can actually break a horde really fast and one way to do that is stop the heroic combats from working and one of the ways you do that is by number of models so yeah okay they may win the combat yep they may knock you prone yep they may kill a handful of guys but they didn't kill all of them so it's it stops the heroic combat that is that is huge and like in return because you have a lot of heroes you're going to be doing um at the start of every turn you're going to be doing your own uh heroic moves like if you lose priority to make those enemy heroes burn their might because you got lots of might you don't care if you burn a might on a heroic move and then lose it it's like make the opponent burn their might too because they don't have nearly as much as you Mm -hmm. um the other reason why you want to swarm the enemy models is they could lose the duel you know every once in a while somebody rolls bad and if you're if you if you're bringing like six or seven models into a fight well guess what you're probably going to roll a six
1: odds are odds are are for you
0: yeah so it means it pushes all the pressure on them to roll a six they're going to have a higher fight so all they need is a six but getting that six well it may not happen or you know maybe they're all a four and they'll have to burn two points of might. And there's two heroic moves or two heroic combat that they can't do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you may lose models doing this, but if you can stop them from doing heroic moves, if you can force them to spend might, it's well worth it. Remember, like every model you lose that's worth five points. If you can make them use a point of might easily worth it.
1: Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, you know I I made, we, I made the comment earlier on about burning March doing heroic marches burning them often um, you know and, and that's good uh, especially when you want to get across the table as very quickly as, as quickly as you can but if you don't need to race across the table if you've got those movement bases if you're feeling very confident in your time management skills like you said Don uh, don't don't use up your might save it because you know a heroic move unless your opponent's got an Aragorn King LSR or someone that could just generate free might, um, they're eventually gonna start burning out their might on things they don't want to burn it on, like a heroic move, right? Yep. Uh, the other thing to talk about with the, the the stopping those heroic combats, this might seem counterintuitive to some degree, uh, but when you swarm um, like a, a two-attack model that charges in um, and you get those three attacks on the charge, uh, what you're doing there by swarming them that model with 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 more warrior models than they can kill, is you're preventing them from doing more damage than if you just let them have their way, right? So if mm-hmm. if a if a mid-tier hero charges two uh, goblins, let's say in this example, um, does a heroic combat, kills the two goblins, charges two more, kills those two, they've killed four goblins now for a point, one point of might. Yeah. but if you swarm that hero with like four or five goblins initially they're not going to call the hero combat because they can't kill enough and the best they'll do is kill three goblins so in this instance you have prevented them from killing four goblins so you've saved one goblin right They you lose three in the second scenario you lose four in the first so you're keeping models on the table and by as you said throwing a lot of dice out of combat you are making them seem or feel very worried that they may actually whiff a dice roll. And when yeah, they whiff a dice roll, pressure wrong. Yeah, exactly. When the pressure is on and they whiff a well, dice the other, roll, the other thing too.
0: The other thing about that is too is like once they're getting into combat like that, like let's say they charge into your flank with some some cav you don't want them to actually get away. Like no. once they're in combat, like Keep them in combat. Don't let them charge you and then like skirmish away and say, "Hey, I just killed half a dozen of your models for no losses." Well, no, it's like once they charge in, you want your army to be like you know fly paper, okay? You're you're on the fly paper now. There's no getting away.
1: Exactly, exactly. And the other thing about the heroic combat is, as you said, it's movement, right? Like I can charge a couple of models, and then you know what? Maybe if as a horde player I didn't position correctly, they heroic combat into one of my heroes. Well, they're gonna murder my hero instantaneously but by swarming those enemy heroes you prevent extra movement which is key because again it's about board control and we controlling the tempo and the board control of the game uh, the entire board of the uh, of the game yeah and that's it and all when types. you
0: start removing enemy heroes it really limits what your opponent can do
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah all right so do you want to move on to rock paper and scissors
0: Let's do it. Let's do some hick-hack-hawk.
1: Alright. <laughs> Alrighty, let's do it. So the first one is the shield wall. Okay? So, it's important to note with the shield wall, if you can surround and overwhelm it, it will fall very, very quickly. Um, That means you're pretty much enveloping it. That means you're getting those traps very easily and potentially even getting your models behind um, their their double rank and almost every one of these combats is going to be a trap scenario for them. Once that occurs, it's pretty much game over. You're gonna eventually devour a shield wall. Okay, so when when we talk about board control in the strategy section, it's all about looking for where can a shield wall create those choke points, and can I get there and beat them to it so I can control them? Because when you control the choke points, you steal their big advantage against you. Right. Uh, so don't be afraid to use your might to heroic march into those shi- or those those choke points if you can get there. Um, now, if you have to funnel your forces, don't hesitate to go two-handed or piercing strike in the front rank, you're going to lose models, it's going to happen, you're going to lose them by the droves, but when you win those combats against those warrior models, and you're two-handing, you're piercing striking, they'll start feeling those losses, and they'll eventually get ground down, and that's where you want to be, okay? And last but not least, the the things I talked about previously were in non-objective games, when it's an objective-based game, you have such an overwhelming advantage against a shield wall, abuse it like crazy. Spread those objectives out if you can. Um, this is a favorite tactic I've seen, uh, worked very effectively, where we'll place objectives. If I'm playing the shield wall army, I'll try to keep my objectives clumped. My opponent will then spread their objectives out as far as they can. And then all of a sudden, the role to see which side we deploy on becomes critical Because if I lose that uh, roll-off, they'll just switch the table sides. So all of a sudden, they're now sitting on the table edge, which has all the objectives clumped together. And I'm on the table edge that has all my objectives spread out. Which means I'm essentially screwed. And then I have to try to punch through a horde army to get to the objectives. And not even bother trying to play with the flank ones. Uh, And that's a favorite tactic I've seen. And it works extremely well. all right so
0: what about horde versus horde okay this this is weird this is kind of a funny one because obviously if you're playing against another horde your primary tactics are kind of out the window so in this case you you kind of have to look a little bit deeper at your army this is this is where you have to look at you know do you have shooting that can affect the other guy's army? Um, do you have more guys with shields? Do you have any special units that give you mobility? Like what What small advantages do you have? How does your basic warrior stand up against their basic warrior? Like are you, are you looking good if you get into a lot of one-on-ones? Well, then you just engage right across the front line. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the other thing here is board control. So obviously you're good at it because you're a horde well so is your opponent so so that advantage is kind of gone so you you kind of have to play this game almost like you would play when if you're playing something other than a horde you 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 have to really focus on um the board control the objectives um in this case It probably is okay for you to send a few guys over on your left flank to to capture an objective, because the objective is is probably far more important than losing that handful of models. Mm -hmm. Um, So this one here, you you're not at an advantage. Definitely you're not at an advantage, mm-hmm. um, but you do have to look a lot deeper in this, but all of the other things that we said are true. You have to still move fast, maybe even more so than in a normal game, because your opponent is also struggling with you know probably 50 plus models during their turn so you know it's not like you know you get to take sixty percent of the time for moving and they get forty well no they're they're going to be just as demanding on their time for moving as you are so you know plan in advance what you're going to do on
1: your turn agreed um when let's move on to line breaker now initially when i wrote this up I, i i talked about how you're very strong against a line breaker force um but there's some caveats to this okay so You're you're strong against the concept that when a linebreaker, which is designed to break lines, breaks yours, you'll just reform it very quickly, right? Because you you can easily throw three or four bodies deep in many cases. They'll kill the first two ranks, and then, you know, you swarm with the next two, right? Um, And they don't have a lot of reinforcements. A linebreaker army spends the majority of its points on its heroes, not on its infantry, so you can overwhelm them very easily. Uh, When I talk about the Linebreaker though, you have to be very careful because they're designed to kill 40, 20 to 30 models in a single turn and they'll do it against you. So if you're not careful, you will almost guaranteed break two or three turns into engaging a Linebreaker force, right? They're designed to mow down infantry as fast as they possibly can. So it's very critical that you swarm their heroes right out the gate locking down their ability to do those crazy heroic strikes heroic, heroic comments right it's important that if you do have whatever tricks like let's say an expensive hero let's say some shooting you use it to your advantage especially if you're an evil army like don't be afraid to throw one of your models, your horde models, into combat against one of their linebreaker heroes, and just dump a volley of shots into it. Specifically because you're gonna kill your guy, which is fine, because low defense works in your favor this time, but then you're also going to potentially um, kill your enemy hero or de-horse them. Because your goal with against a linebreaker force, especially if the linebreaker is heroes, mounted heroes, your goal is to dismount them the moment you dismount them the advantage swings heavily in your favor because they don't have the knockdown they don't get the extra strikes to kill your models and you can very easily swarm them okay so while on the on just sort of looking at it on an army type versus army type you have a strong advantage there's, there's some things you have to do to really sort of solidify that because if you don't, if you just sort of fling your models in against a linebreaker force, you're going to find your break very quickly. So in these types of games, it's important that you don't spread out that much. You do not want to be spread out across the entire board because they'll smash through your center very quickly and they'll start chewing you up and you will struggle to get caught up. So stay a little more clumped this time around against this type of army. This
0: one here, um, it's a very tricky, it's very tricky to play as a horde. I've been in this position many times. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for this combo, for the horde player, it's not about receiving the charge. You're going to get charged, you're going to lose like a whole buttload of guys on the charge. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hard to mitigate that. Especially we're talking about mostly a mounted like attacking force, let's say attacking your flank or whatever. Mm-hmm. What this is all about for the horde player is the next turn. Yeah. It's 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 about the counter charge. And a lot of times the whole game comes down to the heroic move off on the on the turn after the charge. Mm-hmm. Because what your opponent is trying to do is to charge part of your army decimate it okay Mm -hmm. maybe maybe do some heroic combats the next turn they are going to have to win priority or win the heroic move-off so on their initial charge one of the things that they are always looking to do when they are charging a horde is where are your horde heroes Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're gonna they're looking for your might that is close to their models. And they will charge, kill your chaff, heroic combat into your heroes and kill them mm-hmm. so that they cannot call heroic moves on the second turn. So when you're about to get charged as a horde, it's all about setting up for the counter charge. You have to make sure that you have heroes that survive the initial turn. And that can call heroic moves on the next turn Mm because, you know, you're going to call them almost no matter what, because if if you if you win priority, your opponent's going to call a heroic move and then you'll have to counter. If you lose priority, right, you're going to have to call a heroic move because if he charges you again, well, you know what, you're probably going to lose.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's all about setting up for the counter charge.
1: Absolutely. You know, like we talked about, when I talked about with the spreading out, if you spread out your army too much, a favorite tactic of a line breaker, because I do this, if I find a horde army is too spread out, I'm going to use my chaff uh, warrior models as sort of this like uh, barrier to prevent your horde from barreling down on my heroes. And then I'm going to pick a flank. I'm going to run my heroes into your flank and I'll drop probably 20, you know, let's say goblins in one shot. The problem is you won't be able to retaliate to get after my models because my block of chaff warriors is blocking you from bringing your full might to bear on my heroes. You might catch one, you might catch two, but if I've got five heroes, I'm going to swing the rest of the three in to save the two that got caught and then I'll just keep working your army down. So that's why it's so important to keep your your Horde army a little more clumped than usual against the Linebreaker, keeping those heroes protected from the heroic combats so you can guarantee challenging that heroic move-off.
0: Yep, because that's it. Once that opponent commits, you don't want them getting away from the fight. Mm-hmm. you got to keep them in the fight and keep pouring your models into it. Exactly. Shall we talk about Leaf Blower? Let's talk about it. Okay, so leaf blower, so like an army designed for shooting, Mm -hmm. um, can actually be a good matchup for you. Because if you can get into combat with them, you're probably going to do very well. Uh, Problem, of course, is that you don't want to take an excessive amount of losses to shooting while you're trying to move into combat. So here you go, you got to march, you got to march, march, march. Um, don't leave anything back just march with everything try to get into combat Um, I know you mentioned before that like your army can be strong with marching because you probably have a lot of captains in your army Mm -hmm. and there's another thing make sure you're keeping bodies in front of your captains because you know if you're playing like a savvy opponent what they're going to do is just target your your heroes who aren't really that much tougher than your regular guys and they'll kill your might so that you can't move across the table quickly so keep bodies in front of your your heroes you know force them to roll the in the ways whenever you can um you're probably gonna have to spread out a little bit here Uh, But the thing is, you have good board coverage. So, you know, they're not going to be able to like, you know, stick and move. It's not like they can run around your flank or or whatever. A lot of the time you get, you get a lot of that skirmishing type of thing happen with this type of army. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's more difficult to do that against an army that covers the entire board. Um, And you know you're going to lose a lot of models to shooting there's no two ways about it you just have mm-hmm. to accept that fact and get across the table and into combat as quickly as you can mm-hmm. and if you can do that without losing too much you got a good chance
1: let's talk about mobile okay this can be a bit of an uphill battle as they're very difficult to trap right they can move almost as they can play the board goal, board control game as well as you can Okay, because of their speed, not because of their numbers, and in addition, they can move as fast as you can while still being being able to shoot. We talked before about how most horde armies are four inch, five inch movement. Well, cav can move five inches and still shoot, right? So, uh, you can't spread out as much as you'd like to do because when you do that, it allows them to bring their mobility to bear and isolate portions of your army and just wipe it out through cav charges or just uh, uh, weight in numbers, right? So it's important that you stay a little less uh, spread out as you'd like to and again about sort of evaluating where the VPs are on the table and where you need to bring your forces to bear. Um, You know in this case once you've evaluated where those victory points are, there's the trick. Don't blow your marches early. I know we talked about racing in and blowing them uh, really quickly because you want to gain that, uh, close the gap. But when you do that to an army that has the ability to move twice as fast as you, you are signaling that's where you're going and they will use their marches and they'll push themselves three times faster than you and they'll move right away from your traps. So you wanna just push up the table in a normal fashion and when you get close, that's when you start burning the marches because you don't want them to know where you're gonna go until it's too late. And then you've made your pounce, if you would, and you've rushed in and you're right on top of them. And then that's when they start panicking because they're like, oh gosh, this is where the, the bulk of the horde is going. I now have to move to reinforce it. Because that's when you want to start pushing them to make those mistakes.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Alrighty. Uh, do you want to talk about combined arms? Sure. That's it. Let's talk about combined arms. And like, Against mobile, that you just finished talking about, it's probably could be one of the hardest armies to play against for Horde. Mm -hmm. Well, combined arms could be the easiest for a Horde to tackle. Um, Simply because, like, if you're playing against a Horde, you really kind of do need a sort of definitive strategy in the game that can maximize your kills to try to deal with that horde that is coming against you and this combined arms army although they can certainly have certain things that can be devastating against hordes really this kind of jack of all trades army is is not well suited to to play against a horde Um, like a lot of the time they they may have like a wizard right where a lot of points are invested in a wizard well guess what like wizards are really designed to deal with like big single models or they're they're designed to like transfix your big hero or knock your big hero off his horse or you know all this this kind of stuff and or or even um, blinding light to keep shooting off you and all those things are not really tactics that you employ so really what that means is they've spent a lot of points on something that's really not going to give them a huge amount of return in the game Mm -hmm. um similarly they're probably going to have shooting but Mm -hmm. like under a leaf unlike a leaf blower list it's probably not enough to really bother you like yeah okay you're gonna probably lose half a dozen models to their few paltry bows that they have but overall it's like you have more than enough bodies to deal with that another thing too is a lot of the time this type of army will have a big hero but just one you know Mm -hmm. like maybe they got dane or maybe they got aragorn or you know, some big hero, but like one big hero fighting in the middle of a swarm is like good night. You're yeah. you're finished, right? Mm-hmm. They'll they'll keep you pinned down, you know, with their uh, with their heroics, and you know, eventually you're gonna go down. You'll lose your horse, or you'll get trapped, or or whatever. Um, and they just don't have enough models to stop you from overwhelming their army. Like a lot of the time, you know, we we mentioned this briefly before, is like this time of this type of army will will frequently fight in, in different areas of the board with different parts of its army. Well, if you're if you're engaging a horde with like a small part of your army, yeah, good luck. That that, that is just it's gonna disappear like in a turn. You know um and if it comes down to like playing the missions well again like you've got like a a, a huge advantage there like if if it's an objective based mission like how are they gonna how are they gonna come and take objectives from you it's very difficult for for a combined army combined arms army to do that um so you know it's it's tough um what's the what's the one mission uh where it's about killing the number of guys that you kill so that one there okay that one there they might be able to get an advantage on you but you can even win that game Mm -hmm. because you know you can eradicate your opponent's army and that's a game one right there Mm -hmm. so Anyway, I I think the combined arms is a good matchup for the horde. Certainly there are some things that you do have to be concerned about. Any any AOE area effect weapons. Oh my God, yeah, so. Um like the you know, like the twirly whirly or I think the trebuchet mm-hmm. has that and I'm sure there are a number of other ones.
1: Yeah, so I think that what the combined arms brings to the table in terms of its um siege weapons, that is really where you're gotta be worried about. Um I have played games Um, where I've seen a twirly-whirly take out eight or nine models in a shot. Um, This is back when you're allowed to fire pretty much in combat, and it is devastating when it happens. Like It's just like cringeworthy. And so having your opponent bring one, maybe two uh, siege engines, um, while yes, it sort of peels away from the number of models they can put on the table, Uh, AoE splash damage can be really hindersome to a horde. Uh, but you have a good advantage in this one. And I know we talked about in the sort of uh, the the summary for all army types episode. We talked about combined arms don't have a hard counter or a soft counter. Um, but that doesn't mean combined arms don't have challenges, right? And I think the greatest challenge to a combined arms force is definitely Horde. Because a lot of the tricks um, don't work as well as against other army types. And... Because sorceress blast has been nerfed to only sort of hit two models really, um, yeah. magic has really been hindered by this. Previous edition, this army would actually be very close, especially if they brought a wizard, because they could barrel over five or six, you know, goblins. Let's say a turn, probably killing for like three or four of them, and they could do that every turn. And for a horde army, that's a hard, those are hard numbers to sort of like swallow turn after turn well, after turn.
0: Like like the horde, that's the thing with like an army that's designed around kind of like tricks. Let's say, it, it's the horde is just kind of relentless against against an army like that. Like you can be like, hey, look at this, what I did, you know, I did a, a heroic move and a heroic combat, and my my guy killed four of your goblins in one turn. It was like, well, fantastic. Good job. But, you know, guess what? Like, I'm going to win priority next turn and you're going to be in big trouble. Like, it's just the horde just will never stop coming at you, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly.
0: You won't be able to kill enough.
1: Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to examples.
0: All right, let's go through a few examples. And we're not gonna go through every example because there's a lot of examples you can build a horde, a lot of factions you can build a horde with. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the most obvious one, the most common one that you see on the tables is Goblin Town uh and really you know because the models are so readily available they were in one of the core starters and their point the points for the goblin warrior are too low at four points i mean that's a five point model for sure so it make it makes that it makes that horde really strong combined with their special rule gibbering hordes it's Mm -hmm. it's just crazy and the goblin scribe's ability to throw units coming on from many table edge um just a really good one and the goblin king is just like a really good hero as well so
1: that's probably your most common horde well i just want to quickly chime in that there's two other things about the goblin town which which three other things actually which make them bonkers amazing for a horde you talk about the goblin mercenaries where they can pop out anywhere uh, we talk about Gollum with the Ring, um, who locks down enemy heroes very well, and then we talk about the Goblin Town Army bonus, which gives them uh, increased warband size. So this just this is like the, the like the penultimate horde army. Like when you think horde, you think Goblin Town. Definitely. Uh, uh, in terms of a slightly different t- style of horde, we're talking Corsairs of Umbar now. Corsairs themselves are between 7 to 8 points, maybe even going up to 9, um, which, you know, kind of is surprising to call them a horde, but it's because their heroes are so cheap. You've got Dalamir, who's a hero of legend, who's sub-100 points. You've got Hasharan, who are heroes of valor. You've got um, some of the, uh, the Corsair captains, who are like sub-50 points, and they're all heroes of fortitude. Means you can bring these uh, a lot of models, 50 60 models at 700 points quite easily, um, and they really do well as a horde. Uh, you know, you've got your Corsair of Umbar, who's another sort of under model, pretty much getting throwing daggers for free. You know, Fight mm-hmm. Four, Courage Three, throwing daggers, super amazing. The Reavers themselves are a fantastic high-threat option, um, pretty much circumventing your courage issues, uh, not to mention you can play the shooting game with their Arbalisters and throwing weapons. So you have a lot of tricks to this army, and you can beef it out a lot, and their army bonus of the Backstabbers rule really lets them sort of lean into swarming and overwhelming the flanks and getting those traps.
0: All right, I'm going to just go through two other... Other hordes that are uh one is very common and one's less common, but Mm -hmm. I won't spend a lot of time talking about it because they're fairly obvious. The Shire. Again, it's it's got the the warrior uh in the four to five point range, so you know it's 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 got the the core unit to build a horde and it also has an abundance of really cheap heroes Mm -hmm. that you know are basically warrior caddies you know you can really hoard out a shire army for sure oh yeah um not only that but it's got really good shooting like both with bows and and throwing stones as Mm -hmm. well so they can actually do a significant amount of damage from from shooting i mean like they're they're almost approaching a leaf blower list even though they're still stuck at 33 percent bows Mm -hmm. just because of the number right Mm -hmm. and you can also bring gandalf the gray in an alternative build which gives them you know even more tricks up their sleeve and just quickly shifting gears to one that is quite uncommon on the table uh and it's not zeroed in on a specific faction because there are quite a few factions that can build it and it is the orc horde so mm-hmm. the orc is a really good counter to other horde armies um simply because its stat line is generally better than all of the other horde stuff but mm-hmm. well, not maybe corsairs of umbar but like any goblins or hobbits or all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, you just don't see this kind of army very often on the tables unless it's like you know a dur with Saron, you know As the leader, but like you can build, you know, the an orc horde with Beradur, Mordor, Angmar, Army of Gothmog, or even Isengard, and it's a it can be a very effective horde.
1: The last one I want to talk about is unique in that it is not um, your traditional horde, like even more so than Corsairs, and that is the Assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. And this is an Isengard list that can absolutely hoard itself out as much as possible because you only have the Isengard captains, who are about 65 points after giving them an upgrade, and they can take 18 models as a warband size. And this allows you to bring easily bring 50 plus models in a 700-ish points list, um, while Dodging a lot of the tricks that it can bring, like foregoing the ballistas, foregoing the bombs, and just saying, "I just want to bring a wall of shield and pike guys." Maybe even throw in some um, some crossbows, and all of a sudden, I have this horde that is totally unlike the other hordes in that strength four fight four, defense six a yeah it's like you horde.
0: got you got like a rock hard warrior model in there and you're spamming it out like to a crazy degree just because of of the heroes and their ability to take extra extra warrior models and and honestly i didn't think about this build but I personally think of after playing the lot of this army that you know I've played assault on Helm's Deep legendary legion, not impressed. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great legendary legion. I think hoarding this army out and ignoring those things that you're sort of meant to take in the assault on Helm's Deep. It's it would be better in my opinion.
1: Well, I'll agree to disagree with you on this one. In that um, prior to the bomb nerf. It was considered to be uh, top tier in the GBHL. In fact, those well, who... Well, I'm, rip- I'm
0: not talking about prior to the bomb nerf. I'm talking about now. Well, like- now,
1: now actually, after the bomb nerf, you're totally right. You don't see this list anywhere. Uh, even if we were playing, you wouldn't see it because bombs can no longer be used to sort of take out heroes in the same degree that it used to be. Um so I'm really curious to try this list out with just pure warriors, just to see what would happen. Because you know when you're looking at a mid-40s Isengard list, uh, or low mid-40s Isengard list, uh, and trying to play that against heroes, it doesn't have a lot of teeth. But if you sort of change tactics and you say, you know what, I'm gonna just lean into the fact that I've got 60 models on the table, and you're rocking third low 30s. I have a strong suspicion that I'm gonna overwhelm you very quickly, and your heroes, your awesome heroes, are gonna struggle against me, especially when I'm crossbowing the bejesus out of them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well that that that's what this army becomes. It becomes deadly, a deadly shooting army. Like mm-hmm. if there's no blinding light on the other side of the table, oh boy.
1: <laughs>
0: exactly. All that is gold does not glitter. Okay, so normally we are answering questions that we posed in the previous episode, and our listeners had sent us answers and we we're reading them. But last time we decided that we were going to ask the listeners to ask us some questions and we gave some guidelines. And oh boy. We got 10 questions came yep. in. We
1: were hoping. We were fingers crossed. but Maybe we'll get two. Maybe we'll get two. Yeah, we got two or three
0: questions. <laughs> ten questions. Okay. So we... Um, we're not going to be able to cover uh, all 10 questions. We'll we'll do our best to get through five questions. We'll see how uh, long it takes us to answer. And we'll just keep the other ones for future episodes. Uh, but by all means, if you do want to ask more questions, please feel free to do that. And we'll give out our contact information at the end of
1: the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I will say this. Don't think that your questions are going to get thrown in the garbage if we don't answer them. We will yep, answer them for future definitely episodes. Definitely keeping everything
0: Keeping everything on hand. Mm -hmm. All right. First question will be, it is from Matt K. from Newcastle, England. I'm uh, really sorry about how bad Newcastle is doing in the Premier League this year. Shocking, actually. Um, hey, hey, stop
1: saying a side tangent. Yeah, sorry. Here is, your,
0: here is his question. Hope you're all well over there in the Great White North. I have a question uh, for the listeners' question segment what do you use for objective markers in game are you fans of using a nominated piece of terrain or a dedicated objective markers like coins keep up the good work and in addition to my last question what size of objectives do you use and like i know what i use i don't know if you know what you use andrew Well, i know what i use what do you use
1: Uh, Those ceramic uh, discs that we got. um, Yeah, they're poker chips. The poker chips are like, what, 40 40 millimeters, something like
0: that? Yeah, they're approximately 40 millimeters. I don't know exactly how the size is, but yeah, like the ones I use, like we have a bunch of different poker chips that we've gotten from various tournaments over the years. Like I know we got some from Nova. And in 2017, I actually had like a whole bunch of red and white poker chips uh, printed by a company um, and it had the osbgl logo on one side and uh, battle companies on the other because i ran a battle companies like league i guess in 2017 so i've always just had those on hand to use I as use those objective too. markers yeah and aside from that i do have the objective markers that came out like i guess it was in the generals pack mm-hmm so and like on one side it's got like mordor and on the other side it's got like a gondor thing so yeah, yeah. Those, those are pretty well what what i use nothing too fancy i've got some homemade ones that i have at home that i use but i don't bring them to tournaments usually
1: no i find when you use the um like we get kind of so ceramic poker chips um, I find we use those um, just because one, it's really flashy and tally on this on the, the board. You know exactly where the objectives are, no matter where you're looking at, what, what vantage point you're looking at when you're looking at a board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never had an opponent say that they're too big, they're too small. Like they're like, yeah, it's good enough as long as you're within three inches of the whole th- or of the thing. It's good enough for me.
0: All right uh oh you want me to just keep reading these questions or do you want yeah okay next one and father justin uh he sent in a few so we're gonna just throw one question out there from father justin which legendary legion do you think has the most competitive potential at 1000 point level and this is a question for you drew i have no idea all i know is it's definitely not um what, what do you call that one? The Chief's Ruffians. No, It's no. definitely not the Chief's Ruffians.
1: No, it's definitely
0: not that. That'll be my contribution to this <laughs> question.
1: <laughs> I think, is it Theoden's Riders, Riders of Theoden, whatever that name is, uh, their Legendary Legion at a thousand points is probably the most competitive. And I would say it from the perspective of you get the most amount of um, Rohan heroes at that point. And you also have a pretty sufficiently sized Cav force. So that, that initial charge can do some heavy damage. Um, and then they are also the army that has the most amount of might, I think, in the game. Um, you've got Gambling, you've got the Banner, even after the Banner, banner nerf, nerf, you're still looking at like generating 6 or 7 points of might with that bloody thing. Uh, you've got Theoden's, because the Legendary Legion gives you the free heroic combat or heroic strike uh, for all your heroes once per game. And all that stuff i think on the charge that army is more than capable of crippling an opposing army quite easily
0: yeah like they're they're an army that has so much candy and like the way of heroes for you to take in the army and at a thousand points you can take so
1: much of it yeah no i absolutely agree i uh, think
0: justin will like that answer because uh, rohan is one of his armies i know i, I agree I, the
1: other one i think um just from uh, to switch sort of gears here for a moment uh, i know it's taken a hit from a nerf perspective but i still think it's very viable at a thousand points and that's the assault on Helms Deep, legendary legion because at a thousand points you don't have big heroes which is very contra to a thousand point army you kind of want to bring a big hero at a thousand points but you're bringing lots and lots of arcai you have uh several ballistas at least two You're running max crossbows at 33% limit Um, because your warband size is you're gonna have easily probably 60 Urukai on the table. You're probably running double bomb, even with the bomb nerf. Here's the thing at a thousand points, if your opponent tries to rush in a single hero to avoid getting blown up by the bomb, they're gonna get obliterated. Um, by an Isengard line, either between um, being shot to death by crossbows, ballisted to death, um, like you're just not gonna see the bomb as being impacted as you would in like let's say a 700 point game, uh, at a thousand point game. I still think the Assault and Hel- Helm's Deep uh, Legendary Legion is very strong. Do I think it's as strong as, as Theoden's Riders? Yeah, uh, you know, we'll see it on the on the tabletop.
0: Yeah, because in all honesty, we we haven't. We haven't played in tournaments long enough with that list to really get a good measure of it, mm-hmm. in honesty. Um, I, I don't really think... The, the, I just see two problems with that. One is line-of-sight blocking. Like, if there's a lot of line-of-sight blocking, it has a massive effect on that game. And the other thing, too, is, is that army, it just doesn't... It has a very low amount of might in it. So it's just how big of a factor are those things? There's no way to know until you actually That's true. play a dozen games. Uh, all right. Moving on to the third question. Let's see if we can get through five questions here. Uh, get through crossed. half of our half of our backlog. Leon K. Um, has sent in a question,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and his question is: Hi, as always, I've enjoyed listening to your episodes because of our chess games, and I got a little story to tell about that, mm-hmm. and your community question in the episode. My question is, do you see any similarities between the way you are playing in other games, board games and war games, and or thinking in your job and the way you are playing and thinking in SBG games? So he's asking us, like, do we see similarities in some of the other things we do in our life to the like to the way we play SBG games?
1: Okay. Do you want to start with this one?
0: I can if you want. Yeah. Uh, first, I'll just mention, he mentioned our chess games. So as I mentioned in an earlier episode that I've played chess all my life and, you know, blah, 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 I'm, I'm okay at the game. So Leon Leon started uh, like a little group for MESBG players mm-hmm. on a website, and I, the name of the website escapes me right now but anyways uh i joined and we had a couple games well i've I've never played chess online before like not one game Mm -hmm. and so you know we we connected had a game he slaughtered me first game and i'm like what is going on here but it was like to me it was shocking like not having like the three dimensions and the tactile feel of a chess set in front of me it's it's drastically different I was completely turned on my head trying to f- visualize the board. So anyway I, I lost that game quickly and then the second game we played three games. the second game was was a better game and towards the end I made a mistake, lost a piece, lost the game still struggling with the mechanics of playing online that's gonna be my excuse mm-hmm. And then the third game finally I was like, okay I got my footing. I won the fir- won the third game so I was like okay oh, I lost two but I like ended on a good note.
1: We well, so. progressively got better so you know <laughs> that's that's well, honestly
0: it's it, it was it's like very different visual experience trying to play what is essentially a three-dimensional game on two dimensions it, like to me it was it was difficult. But in answer to the question um, for MESBG and a lot of the board games that I play like I have played games for a long time you know i'm 58 years old so like i've i've experienced a lot in games in spg 40k warhammer blah 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 all these different games um but like i'm not super analytical like i don't memorize a lot of rules and all that like mostly when i play a game i i play based on instinct like i do i i play just like if i feel something is right to do it I'll do it so like i i do look ahead in games and stuff um i don't know if that's similar to any other aspects of my life but like to me the way i play sbg anyways is is mostly on instinct and making use of my experience in the game because i have played a lot so
1: mm-hmm. uh for me i think playing msbg i'm very analytical very competitive um but contrary to that, when it comes to board games, I'm very laid back. I there's there I I would love to win a board game. Don't get me wrong. But like it's not my primary means or purpose when I play a board game. It's literally to kick back, relax, roll yeah, sometimes less, have some dice, Less fun.
0: competitive, right?
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not fussed about losing. I could care less about it. Uh, but when it comes to work. Uh, I'm an accountant, so I'm very analytical about my job, and um, I'm looking at cause and effect constantly, and I'm looking at uh, how um, numbers impact all facets of our our organization across the short, mid-term, and long-term, and how to sort of mitigate for that. So, like like, my work is very much aligned with uh, you know, MESBG analytics. Um, and it's more, I take what I've learned at work and I apply it to MESBG, not the other way around.
0: Right on. That's kind of how I expected you would answer that question, honestly. Well, i Because right you on. are like, not only are you very analytical, you, you have like an incredibly strong memory um, for things like rules of a game, for example. Um, for Like for me, I, I cannot remember the rules anywhere close to the same level of detail as you can, so it means that I play the game in a different way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, okay, moving on. Question number four,
2: I think? Four, I think. Steve yeah, four.
0: Stokes mm. from Ontario has sent in a question. And he wants to discuss the role of siege engines in the game, like for tournament play. Uh-huh. And are we for or against having them, I guess? Um, and he says for him, uh, anything goes unless it's restricted. Like, I guess if like it's restricted in the tournament composition. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but he further says, can someone take a Shade, a Mumak, Balrog, Siege Engine... Um, you make your tournament list to counter everything in play. So you kind huh. of get the feel of his question there. What do yeah. you
1: think? Um, well, this doesn't come so much from a list building sort of concept. It's more of a, you know, how you envision MESBG to be playing uh, played. I've always seen MESBG as more of a skirmish style game. And that's where I'm like, have a bit of a hang up when it comes to siege engines, which were. I think initially just used for Siege games, and there's been a Siege component to uh, MESPG previous editions. Um, you know, and, and some of the light Siege engines I could see being used because they're mobile, they can carry them into battle, but stuff like the old twirly-whirly, that Siege trebuchet, Realistically, you don't see that in any kind of skirmish because you know how long the thing takes to move and set up into battle. Like you would never get to use it before the battle is done, right? So, just from a like a, a logistics and a, re- a realism perspective, I, I based on how I think the game you know is played or like the the, the, the idea or the, the nature of the game, I don't think large siege engines should be a part of it. I think it kind of ruins it. Um, but that being said, um, I see siege engines uh, being very good counters to um, certain types of models your army can't beat, uh, i.e., a Sauron, a Balrog, a Mumak. Um, these are things a siege engine excels at beating. Um, there is one thing I will say that I'm really I dislike about siege engines, and it's the AoE splash damage. I hate that because this isn't Warhammer 40k, there's no blast templates, this is, uh, get rid of it, because there's no there's no skill level in that. Like, you see that come yeah. onto the table, and it's like, I'm just going to shoot randomly in a spot, and all of a sudden, splash, I've hit three or four guys. And, I don't know, I just, I'm, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, but like, I see it being used, and from a competitive standpoint um i accept that this may this is something i don't like but i still have to plan for it right
0: yeah and you, you've taken the words right out of my mouth for for most of that but to me it's like two sides of a coin um like on on one side of the coin and echoing basically what you just said a i don't think it's very realistic b um It doesn't really belong in a skirmish game in my mind so okay what happens if you're playing a thousand points then does it belong okay maybe a little bit more at that level but if you're playing like a 300 point game it does make sense to use like a a siege engine in the game Uh, and like from a realistic point of view you never would have ever seen any of these siege engines even in a set piece battle like all of them primarily are are siege weapons they're they're using a siege like you would never ever ever have seen a trebuchet in anything ever but a siege and it would not do splash damage mm-hmm. right it's designed to take down walls basically is what it is mm-hmm. right um and like the twirly whirly as a weapon you know is is quite frankly ridiculous um when you're looking at it from a realistic point of view but this is a fantasy game Mm -hmm. so you know that's where you have to sort of go to the other side of the coin and the other side of the coin is well because it's a fantasy game there are stuffs in in the game that have like more than 10 wounds Mm -hmm. let's say and they're very difficult things to deal with on the battlefield Uh, and so these are one way of dealing with those things on the battlefield um, but again, to me, the real from a realistic point of view, um, you you would normally only see something that's classed as a small war machine, or mm-hmm. is it siege engine small rather? Small siege engine. Yeah. Small siege engine, like the dwarven uh, ballista that they have for Kazadum. Like that's that's basically the Romans used something called a scorpion. Mm-hmm on the battlefield like legitimately and yeah. it was a small seat. and it's basically what the dwarf ballista is yeah. and the romans used it and carted it around between battles and set it up on the battlefield and used it um but other than that you would never really see any of the siege engines in a set piece battle in a no. game but in in this in this setting does it belong well it certainly helps deal with a mumak or something like that yeah
1: you know firing a siege engine at a sauron if you're let's say a Gondor or even an Iron Hills it's a surefire way of solving your problem in terms of if you're playing against a Sauron leading a better list you know so so don't get me wrong it it has its place do I like it? no do I have to plan for it? yes
0: All right, moving on last question last question Uh, Alistair Mm -hmm. Alistair from is it Anders Does Hobbies? I believe so yeah YouTube yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, really good YouTube channel. Good, call, he's got good going quality on. content there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, his, his editing is really good. Um, hey, Don and Andrew. Love the podcast so far. Really enjoy the high level approach to competitive talk as it definitely feels more thoughtful and universal than nitty gritty points and army building stuff. Well, that's good. That's kind Thank of what you. we're going for. Right. Yeah. So, uh, as far as a question, uh, I think I have one for you. While I really love playing the game, I'm definitely far more of a hobbyist than a gamer, as I much prefer the modeling and painting aspects to the strategizing. So my question for you is, where do you feel you both fall on the hobbyist versus gamer spectrum? And what parts of this whole wargaming thing do you guys like the most, the least, and why? And just I wanna say that you can <laughs> definitely tell by watching Alistair's YouTube channel oh, yeah. that he, he's really a hobbyist. Like, you know, he at our tournament that we've run a couple of years in a row, um, he, he's come very high because he he brings like a really amazing looking army and display board every time. And that that's kinda of the focus of, of his YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Drew? <laughs> I know what you're. You, you say. know my
1: answer already. I
0: know. What uh, you're if say. you
1: looked at a hobbyist, if the hobbyist is on the one side and gamer is on the other side, uh, I'm almost entirely on the gamer side. Uh, I love playing the game. Um, if I, but you know the thing is, uh, I paint fairly well. Like it's not like I'm sloppy at painting. It's not like I slosh paint all over models. I like to glaze and build up layers, and some of my finished models are really nice, uh, better than most. Um, so for me, it's about time. Um, like I don't have a tremendous amount of time outside of the gaming um, sort of area, and so when I can take a, a Saturday off and play four games, for me that's like that's my jam, right? Um, now, in terms of what parts of this whole board gaming thing do you like, not like, and why? The least thing I like is assembly slash mold line cleaning i hate that it just is such a turn off in terms of like painting models i thoroughly enjoy painting models right like turn on youtube something or a podcast or whatever and sit there and paint i just love it but in terms of building and assembling models i hate it uh and the other thing uh, i least like is the fact that in canada you only have like half the year at most you could be spraying primer for the other half is kind of hit or miss yeah. if you don't have an airbrush um so yeah it's that's a bit of a frustration point in terms of prepping your models for painting.
0: Yeah. Like unless you have like an indoor vented painting station or something.
1: Yeah. Which I don't like know. today. It's condo. like
0: minus 15. So yeah, you can, you're not taking a spray can out to the backyard and spray priming your models. Up.
1: You're really not unless you have like the, the can right up against the model <laughs> and you're hoping it doesn't overspray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, I, when you get into that like Zen moment where you're just painting, Like for, it's a rarity for me, but when I get there, I love it. And that's such an amazing thing off the, uh, the tabletop and it's such a de-stressor for me. Um, so I love that part of the wargaming.
0: Yeah. And I, I think we come at this from very different perspectives and a part of it is just like you're, you're at the point in your life where you're just super busy, um, with, you know, work and new marriage and all of that kind of stuff Uh, whereas for me you know like I'll be married 35 years like next year you know my daughter's all grown up and moved out our house is paid off Mm -hmm. you know I'm getting close to retirement Um, I got a lot of time to Mm -hmm. spend to spend on hobby stuff if I want to Um, and there isn't any part of it that I really dislike so I'm gonna kind of ignore that. I, I'd, I'd say the only part about it is that I dislike is that I don't really have like an awesome setup, like a space to just go crazy with the hobby in, like a mm-hmm. dedicated room or anything. Like to me, that's that's the biggest downside. But the part of the stuff that I like, like I love playing games. I play so many different games. Um, MESBG is, is number one, but I play tons of other stuff. Um, so like I've gamed ever since I was a kid, you know, I used to game, I used to play risk with my dad all the time and my buddies would come over and we'd play. And just from then for, for my entire life, like I've always gotten together with friends and played games. And part of what I really enjoy about this hobby anyways, is being involved in, in helping run the group and, growing the hobby and seeing other people like set up tournaments and and helping people and attending events you know like at one point we were really into 40k and we used to go and play events and kind of at one point i just decided i've had enough this uh-huh. game has changed so much i'm just not it doesn't interest me anymore so i'm not gonna not gonna do it anymore and it was really hard because like for so long, we had been going out and doing probably four five, six tournaments a year. And it was so much fun to go out like it's so great to when you get like four people and you travel to a tournament and do all that, like it's just a blast. And having lost that for a number of years, it's like I really, really missed it. And so when MESBG came along and we started growing the league and, you know, um, started going back to, to events with a group of friends. It was so great. I loved it so much. And like, there was a point where I thought like, I wouldn't be doing that kind of stuff anymore because like, you know, no Warhammer 40k for me anymore. So, you know, that's the big game pretty well everywhere. Um, so it was, it was great to get back into it. And to me, like that kind of thing, like the socializing at at tournaments and stuff. I love that. I just really like it. Um, But I love the games. I love hobbying. I've always liked making things. So I love doing conversions. I love building terrain, all of it. I love all of it.
1: You would love, you love assembling models and cleaning mold lines.
0: I do. It doesn't bother me at all because like, to me that like, you know, like you have people that sit and do some hobbies, like, While they're watching television, like you know, like if you know people that knit or do Mm -hmm. whatever, um, like that's what I do. Like, I'll just get a tray and clean my models and clip them and all that just while I'm doing something else. So it doesn't bother me at all.
1: The patience, the patience, this man, legendary.
0: As long as they go together, okay. As long as (laughs) they're not like a Crabane or something similar to that.
1: Don't remind me, I got two of those I have to still assemble.
0: all right so i think that's it we'll save the other half of the questions for for next episode so um let us move on
1: all right it's that time for our favorite segment at least for my favorite segment and that is what have I got in my pocket? The segment where we ask each other a random question about anything from Middle Earth, and we have to answer it on the spot. You excited, Don? All right, yeah, I got a question. All right, so I'm going to ask you mine first, and then I want to hear yours back. So my question today is, if there was one element of MESBG that you, should, that you think should be removed, toned down, or brought up, what is it and why? And I'm talking about shooting, I'm talking about moving, magic, siege weapons, like anything. Whatever you want. One thing that you think just like sticks you and you just think this really isn't MESBG. And I'm also going to throw this out here. Chariots, trampling, that kind of thing as well. So anything. What, do you, what is your one thing and why?
0: Um, okay, so, like, you're not talking about a single faction, you're talking about, like, a, a global rule, I guess. Could is be a what global,
1: it could also even just be one thing you just hate about MESBG, you know? <laughs> we do love it, we do love the game, but there's always sort of things that you kind of be like, "Oh, this really doesn't fit into it, you know? <laughs>
0: um, well, there is one thing that does jump out at me but it's not like a global rule like you know chariots or trampling or whatever Um, what is it it's it's one hero that i think (laughs) is (laughs) so ridiculous in the game it's just i guess that's going to be have to be my answer now that i've already started talking about it and what's that Uh, so it's the army that you were talking about, uh, one or two episodes ago, which was Lake Town.
1: Survivors of Lake Town. Survivors
0: of Lake Town. And is it Bane, the son of Bard? Yes. Stupidest hero in the game. Ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, Every time I see him on the table, it just, uh, it just makes me shake my head. I mean especially seeing as they based everything off the movie in the Mm -hmm. game, which is fine, right? It's, it's based off the movies. It's not based necessarily off the books Mm -hmm. so much, Um, which is okay. But you have this skinny 14 year old kid who can barely hold up a sword in the movie and in the game, he's fantastic. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm just going to talk about this one stat line. His fight can be five in the game.
1: With enough synergies, yeah. It doesn't take much.
0: And it's like, okay, so you're comparing this guy to even your basic, say, warrior of Rohan. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me that this guy has a fight of five. This skinny 14-year-old kid who can barely hold up a sword has a fight of five against a grown man who is a warrior who has a fight of three like it's ridiculous like i can see making a hero profile um of somebody that may seem not very heroic because there's so many of them in the game Mm -hmm. right but normally when they do that is they're they're just really giving them a heroic stat line you're getting a certain amount of might will and fate and it may even be like zero might zero will and one point of fate Mm -hmm. and there that's all you need in order to be a hero but when you're like buffing somebody's stat line and i know it's like under certain conditions they these characters they get increases in various stats but to me that is like so far over the top that it is ridiculous
1: well he gets it's two conditions right so one he gets plus one fight if he's within a range of either of his sisters Right, six inches range. The other condition is he has to be within 12 inches of his dad, Bard. Right, so it's not that inconceivable to have this uptime be for, like, pretty much the whole game. On top of that, you're missing out on the other thing, where even though he only has one attack, if he's within six inches of both of his sisters, he gets a free heroic combat every turn. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: come on. It's like, tone it down, like a hundred percent like it's just so over the top it's ridiculous anyway that's my answer okay mr negativity here mr negativity
1: usual. he's pulled out his dwarven grouchiness and he's thrown down <laughs> it <out. laughs>
0: it's my alternate old barney personality coming out there we my, go. my grouchy old man personality <laughs> Okay, Okay, um, my question for you, super easy question. Uh Um, So today, uh, because it is Saturday, the 23rd, uh, they released a whole bunch of stuff to direct order and they're actually giving everybody a week to order. So there's no more instantly sold out.
1: Is it direct Um, order or is it made to order?
0: It's made to order, sorry, my bad. so, my question is, are you getting anything? And if you are, what are you getting? Is there well, anything in there that can uh, tempt
1: I, you? I hate to say this. What are the items that are there that got up to the made to order section? What are the items? Oh my yeah. God, I,
0: I, I'm not ready for this question. Uh, let's see if I can my go by memory here. Uh, the Witch King is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original, like that, went mounted with the unnamed guys. has got the sword high up in the air. Marseille, horses they've upon got, two feet. Yeah, yeah. They've got. Uh, the, the twins, Elven don't. twins mm-hmm. on foot. They've got Frodo and Sam in orc armor. They've got two Moran and orc captains. They've got Murin and Drar. They've got Galadriel, um, the profile where she's got her arms out to the side. and uh, I forget. It's the Lady it of Light to, version, I think? It's not Lady of Light. It's... Um, uh, I forget. You'd have to see. You'd it's have like to see also the picture, like but...
1: there's the three Gandalfs all together, isn't it? Three versions no. of Gandalf or something? No,
0: that was just a picture. That that's oh, not something okay. that's being
1: sold. Uh, uh, no, I'm I'm being very finicky. If that's the list, I'm I'm generally shy. There's away. a couple
0: more that I'm missing. But... Oh,
1: okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, I'm not really picking up anything right now. Uh, mostly because I'm sort of zeroing on getting my Rangers of Athelion list done. Because um, I have all the models for those. And then it's going to be sort of like where do I go next? I mean, I've been you know when tinkering with the Easterling army list. I was looking at it and I was like, ooh, this looks much better than I initially anticipated. Uh, so we also talked about maybe doing a, a, a challenger component to our our main challenge army uh, mm-hmm. this year. So when I thought you know Easterlings kind of do go toe to toe with the Rangers of Athelion. It happens in the books uh, or the movies at least uh, to a much lesser extent the books. So why not do Easterlings? But anyways, uh, that's what I've been sort of pondering. But nothing. So your
0: your purchases sound like they're much more planned than uh, jumping into. Uh, I'm not like a, a purchase like this.
1: Yeah, no. When I buy things, it's typically to use on the tabletop. It's not to sort of like buy and collect. I'm not a collector per se. Like. You know, I hate to say this, but like I, I thoroughly enjoy MESBG, love the game to death. But like, if, if GW took the game in a direction that just really made me hate it, which they haven't, and I highly doubt they would, but if they took it in a direction that it really turned me off, and like all my friends said, you know what, not interested in MESBG anymore, I would just offload everything I owned and then move on to something else, you know? Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not a big collector.
0: Oh, man, that turned dark really fast.
1: It did, didn't it? Holy cow. Um, This is your fault. (laughs) I guess you you came out negative with your part. I guess I should counter with negativity.
0: (laughs) They also have the ambush at Amon Hen. uh, Arwen uh, with Frodo on the horse mounted. Uh, What else? Cave trolls. Cave troll with spear. Cave troll with hammer. Mm -hmm. And the Galadriel pose in... Sirdan or Kirdan, which however you pronounce it. Well, I have
1: it. Kirdan already. I have Arwen actually with Frodo mounted already. Um, I picked that up in a, in a in a lot I bought almost a year ago now. Um, so I actually have a Rivendell army. I just need to assemble it and paint it, mm-hmm. um, which unfortunately does have Kirdan, much to your chagrin, I'm sure. It's like one of my favorite models to play have with, but like if I ever had to come across it on the tabletop, I just go. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah i actually
0: have most of these models mm-hmm. um i don't have the mordor orc captains Ooh. i have different mordor orc captains but not the two there so i'm definitely picking them up uh i'm picking up the witch king and i'm picking up frodo and sam in orc armor because i thought you know what i'm gonna get those models i've had them in the past but mm-hmm. i gave them away actually um but i'm gonna pick those models up simply because i'm gonna i'm gonna use them in my orc army i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna take like orcs without shield or spear or anything and just have them (laughs) have them be orcs yeah
1: or you could also throw them in a shire army right like frodo or sam get dismounted off their ponies you could just put those models down something different right all righty
0: all right so i guess that's it for Episode eleven. Do you have anything to
1: add, Andrew, before we sign off? Yeah, so if anyone has any other questions, you can throw us an email to North of the Shire Podcast One, the number one, at gmail.com. Or and we're really excited for this, you can head on over to North of the Shire Podcast Facebook page, give us a like, and uh, post your questions up there, because uh, we are gonna get a post up uh, asking people if they want, uh, they can sort of provide their questions to us, and we'll make a, a couple notes. We've already got at least 40 people all signed up. Um, we're super excited because we launched it today, and uh, here's uh, here's hoping that more uh, take interest.
0: Yeah, that's going to be good because it'll be a lot easier for us to uh, show like miniatures that we've been doing, or you know, like I know Chris already posted something about our like painting goals, like mm-hmm. his and my painting goals for the year, and. And it's it's going to be a lot easier to interact with uh, listeners than than by email. So super excited to have that.
1: Agreed. Uh, I know that we posted the predictions uh, minus Garrett's. And almost everyone who's commented so far says, I'm going to win it. So I'm very excited by that. Yeah. (laughs) At least three or four people have chimed in and said, Andrew's predictions are the most realistic. Uh, Don, oh the up your predictions, game. yeah the, the predictions. predictions. Okay, okay. You know, Don, they, they said Don, you know, your predictions are way off base. It's uh, Get It's, out a, of it's here. a little wish listy. That. It's a little. I already, wish- list-y. I've
0: already got one of my predictions came true. No one, it is. Prediction you came talked
1: true. to an inside guy and you threw that down your prediction list.
0: Mounted ring race. Mounted
1: ring race. Get out of here.
0: That was kind of a no brainer though, honestly. It was coming, yeah. You don't well, take you it. don't
1: launch the Black I'll Riders Legendary Legion and not provide <laughs> matted <and Wim> ring <laughs> Uh
0: no, not really. Not really. Oh yeah, boy. Yeah. All right, well I guess that's it for episode eleven. So are we gonna be doing another army type in episode twelve? We are definitely. And what are we doing?
2: Um,
1: you'll have to find out Whatever those.
0: was next on the list.
1: That's whatever's what we're doing. pretty much next on the <laughs> list, I don't have the list in front of me. Now an even bigger question, Don, do you have a quote for us?
0: Do I have a quote? Yeah. I do not have a quote.
1: Woof, look at that. swinging a miss. You know? Looking oh, for I know. the fences, and he just totally whiffs it. Oh.
0: <laughs> You're killing me here, Smalls. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for episode eleven of North of the Shire. Thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next time with episode twelve. And everybody stay safe out there and Take care.